some of those challenges that we face. So this is Penny and Thomas live on the sofa and Thomas is just about to come and actually today we're also joined by our little, our daughter's little puppy who we're babysitting for who might suddenly join us. Oh Thomas is bringing across and the intention of the <laughs> The intention of this chat show is to bring experts to you. We all know how hard it is to find experts when we want to deliver something, when we're wanting to improve our business, find resources, improve our capabilities. And BIP 100, which stands for Businesses Personal 100, we have screened and got to know deeply experts that are going to be able to help people. So we bring this chat show to you so you can get to know not only what they know, but who they are as people. And as you know, this all sort of pivots around this subject, which stands for Business is Personal, which was the book that I wrote a couple of years ago, three years ago now, I wrote it, two years ago launched. And it's really about getting to know people deeply and having a great life around your business because you like the people that you're in business with. Correct. So today we're joined by, and you can see their names here in front of you, Subash Tavares, uh, Phil Schatz and Donnie McNichol. And uh, Subash is actually our lead guest in this show today. And we asked Subash to put this, this uh, chat show together for us. Who would he like to bring on the show that will, um, you know, provide a really powerful conversation for you all so that it can be entertaining, knowledgeable, um, inspiring. So Thomas and I hopefully will do the least amount of this talking because you want to hear from the experts. So I'm going to introduce Subash and then Subash, if you could introduce Phil and Donnie as to why you invited them. So Subash has a business called The Virtual PMO, which he started working on a couple of years ago and launched last year as what it says in the box, virtual PMO, the ability to bring together uh, teams of people um, in a, under a project management office. And a fantastic, uh, we've got to know Subash really well over the last nine months now. Uh, he's worked on some phenomenal projects, which I'd love you to talk about. And your real priority is to help those clients do it, I suppose, within cost, within time and without the amount of stress that projects can create. So and Subash is also our number one connector on Bit. Oh yeah, he is king of the one to ones, unmatched oh, so far. Yeah, phenomenal connector, and played hockey for Kenya. Just got to get that in as in well. In the Olympics. Yeah. In the Olympics. Oh, you're an Olympian! Wow. Two, two Olympics, but yeah. And he's an Olympic networker too. <laughs> So we like to keep this informal. We've got our cupcakes with our little brand here, okay. our cup of teas, with our mugs. And um, so Subash, first of all, um, just tell everyone a little bit more about you and some of the exciting projects you've worked on that some people might have heard of. Yeah, so welcome everyone. And thank you, Penny, for that introduction and Thomas. Um, Really, I'm a, I'm a civil engineer by profession, but over the years, more recent years, I've been, I've been privileged to be involved in some of the major programs of work, infrastructure programs in, in the UK, especially. Uh, starting as far back as the uh, Thames Tunnel, uh, the ongoing HS2, we were involved in the very early days, which is coming to fruition now. Um, the Olympics, of course, uh, the company I was with was one part of the delivery organization. Uh, so we helped to make the 2012 
Olympics very successful from an infrastructure point of view, and uh, the rest is history. And more recently, various, quite a lot of different types of projects, semiconductors in Ireland, uh, highways, motorways in the UK, uh, the ill-fated um, smart motorways program, which is <laughs> attracting a lot of attention at the moment, but it was a concept that was born about five years ago and will continue as far as I know. So my role has been in the control side. This is about pulling together the multiple stakeholders involved in these projects. And um, if I suggest that, as Penny alluded to, the triangle in construction is, is, is time, cost, and quality. But today, I want to look at a similar triangle, which is about uh, people, technology, and processes and procedures. Because I think from my experience, it's the alignment of those three which uh, deliver successful outcomes. Um, and for that reason, I have invited a very good, both friends of mine, uh, Phil Schatt, who I first got to know, must be 15 years ago, I think. Um, uh, when And Phil has been involved in uh, the delivery of software uh, to not just construction, but my experience with Phil has been in the construction environment. Uh, it's an ever-changing platform and will continue to change. Um, and the second and most important thing for me, if I look back at my career, is about the people. And for that reason, I've asked Donnie uh, uh, to, to join us. And Donnie and I have known each other probably for the same amount of time. Um, and we have uh, worked together and with each other on various projects, looking about the, the, the people side of putting teams together. Um, Donnie was the first to introduce me to IMA. Um, and then of course, now we have it in bit 100 as well. And you know, go yellows, I might just say, go high yellows. <laughs> but um, but notwithstanding, it, it is about um, it's about uh, people, capability, competence. It's about finding the right people at the right time. Hugely important. And a part behind it is the sort of the science about how to manage people. Yeah. So for us today, the science of how to manage people. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So I think what I'd like to we talk about major projects, we talk about any project really, but major projects when you think of complexity, but the underlying, the fundamentals, I believe are the same, the three I've mentioned, the people, the processes, and the, um, and the process and procedures. They are complex to reflect what you're doing, but the underlying principles are the same, you know, the respect, the training of people, the use and the appropriate procurement of technology, the education of people to use the technology, the alignment of processes and processes and procedures to bring all those together, to make it happen in a consistent way. Mm. And it is, it is not written down anywhere. Each of those processes, each of those segments have drivers, you know, financial drivers, um, all sorts of other drivers, better, worse, faster, slower, etc. in terms of technology or all-encompassing or just 
very specific. And it's about finding the balance. So the discussion today is about some of the challenges we've faced in the past in delivering major projects, but I'm also quite keen to look at how we transition into the new world of digitization, digital transformation. There are so many terminologies out there, ecosystems, etc. how we can utilize that to improve how we deliver projects. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So if I get this right, in your wonderful triangle, you're representing processes and procedures, are you, Subash? I am. Phil's representing technology and Donnie's representing people. That's correct. It is absolutely brilliant and makes my life very easy because I now know how to get, keep this going along in the right direction with your intent as well, which I really like that about the future. So um, if I just look, Phil, as we come to you. So Phil, you're representing technology. Now you have... Um, you're all about the deployment of technology in, in the new, you know, new technology in the area of construction and in the areas of project management generally, I understand. Correct, yes. Fantastic uh, glimpse of the future events that you run on LinkedIn, which many people recognize you from that. Yeah, so it's going really well. We've had 15 events so far. We have about 1,800 people registered generally and have about 300 people that uh, stay with us through the, the full three hours. Um, it's called a glimpse of the future because each presentation is limited to 15 minutes strictly. And um, we time them carefully so that people can drop in and out to, uh, to hear what, they, what yeah. they might be interested in. And we likely theme them around um, say scheduling or building information modeling or cost management so that someone can join for two or three that might be in the same vein. But, um, but trying to, to theme them too closely became really problematic because people are interested in, in the whole application of technology and there are so many solutions that, that overlap. And, and it really is a brilliant uh, area to work in because the market is awash with innovation just now. You've got these two inexorable trends where you have uh, people that are leaving the workforce because of age and they're taking with them their know-how. They're looking for ways to monetize that. And the most obvious one is to develop a SaaS offering where there's an annuity-based revenue. If they can just productize what they know and turn it into something that somebody wants, they, they, they see a path to, uh, to, to a good future for them outside of the, uh, the corporate world. And then on the other hand, you've got this other trend, which is even stronger, which is that software engineering frameworks are developing really rapidly. And, and small teams can create great things now with these libraries that are available. And when you consider that, that programming is now uh, taught in most universities, you've, you've, you've got this, this wealth of technical knowledge and this know-how from project management and construction. And they're just meeting and there's just this tidal wave it's just tsunami of innovation just flowing over the market and um yes what i do is i hunt down the best case stories i can find for the most interesting stuff and invite them onto my my show for 15 minutes and i run about once every six weeks That's and a phil is the is all the software is it all labeled construction tech absolutely not no no much of it's cross vertical yeah um the what label does it have all this software all this innovation well, it can extend into all different areas. So I suppose if I had to break them into the most popular categories, building information modeling or BIM as it's known 
would would be the most all-encompassing where you 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 have a database effectively of all the information that goes into your building um scheduling and the managing the complexity of how activities are executed um the order they're executed and trying to predict the future outcome uh, of delay is another huge area as is cost management uh looking at the uh the breakdown of the different items that you need the estimates that you got for what you thought they were going to cost when you did the original estimate versus what they're costing you now because every the price of everything is going through the roof um oh there's so many tools thomas each of those different SaaS software applications there's a tsunami in each of those three is there of new ideas coming onto new platforms coming onto the market there's wonderful new products coming onto the market all the time and then there's there's great tools that are out there that are just looking to reach a larger audience so it's i don't just i suppose most of my clients um have 20 or fewer employees but then i've got some of the big names in the business as well companies like think project and bentley systems um are, are probably my my two largest clients yeah what i'd like to just suggest along those lines but to then bring um donnie in is is that um the process of construction uh, has hasn't really changed. You know, um, you know, we still have vertical construction, big buildings. We still have, you know, all the various types of built infrastructure, hospitals, whatever. We still have railways. We still have airports, etc. But what is changing is is our ability to put them together more economically and safer. And using more sustainable materials. Mm -hmm. Now that challenge is is what we believe in the case we talk about of the uh, people, the technology, and the processes and procedures. It's about it's constantly changing, but projects have a lifespan. So therefore, this is all about when you start. You try to look in that crystal ball and you try to select the most appropriate platform from a technology point of view. You try to put together the team that is best placed to deliver that project. Mm -hmm. Now, in both cases, it is very unusual that either of them last the whole of the project, like HS2, 10 years, 15 years, mm -hmm. right? Certainly people don't. People change more, you know. So you've got you. That's why the processes and procedures is ideally the glue that keeps that consistency going. Yeah, I can see that. So I'm going to so because I want to get into a discussion about these this triangle and a really and an interesting debate about it as well. Um, but before we do that, Donnie McNichol. So Donnie is the complex change catalyst and works with companies with um to really help them through these very complex projects and even listening to you both now we can see just some of these complexities but you come at it a lot of it from the people point of view um donnie so would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about you and maybe do a represent the people side here 
Yeah, absolutely. Forget all that um, process and system and tools nonsense. It's all about the people. <laughs> she said to me a number of times, um, as I'll come on to my world now heavily overlaps with the process side and this tool side, because there's no point in ignoring it. Um, my background is, you know, is consultancy, it's construction, but now work with a broad range of different types of companies. And if I had to try and describe all the bits of work I do, it might be hard initially to spot the human dimension or the people dimension to it, but because they sound quite technical, but in fact, it's usually not. It's why are people not doing what they're supposed to be doing? Why are people not getting it? Subash used the word there, teams. Why are teams not working well together? And so did Phil mention the same thing. So most of what I do in the people side is at the team's level. Um, and just to describe what that third part of the triangle looks like, the core foundation is does somebody understand themselves? Does somebody understand another person? Do they understand each other? Are they able to then work together? And then in groups of people that work together in teams and the teams go up from teams to project level to program into an organization capability, blah, blah, blah. But the, <clears throat> the core one is the teams bit and the teams get it. And I think the bit I tend to focus on is there's a very strong, there's a huge industry around the pure people side. Mm -hmm. but it's how does that relate into the project context, which is subtly different from the operational in some ways. And then how does it relate to, to using systems and tools or to working with processes? Um, so you can't, so my interest is, dare I say it, not in the absolute pure people bit, it's the application of it into Subash and, and fills the systems that are used, the processes that are used, and you've got to overlay the two. You know, I've told you Penny in the past about this team praxis thing that I've developed, which I won't go into here, but it is about that linkage between. Um, so yes, the, the, the people side, I think the, the, it maybe shouldn't be called the people, it's maybe the team, the team side, because that's maybe a more accurate representation of what's the critical part of uh, that triangle. Yeah. 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 So, so I'm I'm the rookie here. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know your world. Um, so I'm going to ask questions which you might need to um, manipulate a little bit into the right the right phraseology or the right answer. Um, but one of some of the things we've talked about are. We, we want to look into, it, it, it was quite fun to talk about, almost stand up against, is technology or people more important in a project? What I'm seeing here, Subash, is that are you sort of, in this scenario, taking the lead on if I was implementing a project and I'm gathering, this is what virtual PMO does, I gather the right people in. Um, and so if we, if this was, um, if we were just, playing here at that we've got somebody representing technology and somebody representing people and you're representing the processes at this point here and one of the things you know i wanted to ask is you know when you're doing that what makes up a powerful team what are you looking for um subash to to put a project together so um That's one of the things uh, that does change is that over the life of a project you will need different people of different skill sets, etc. If I, if I boil it down to the three sort of main areas, one is development, where someone thinks of an idea um, and takes it through whatever 
whatever procedure it is, design, planning, all that, everything, and gets that project ready to start. And then you will construct it. And then you will hand it over to someone who will operate, maintain, and potentially uh, demolish it or demobilize it or whatever. There are different skill sets for each of those three phases. But at the beginning, you have to have the vision about what is the short, i.e. development phase, what is likely to be the construction phase, and what is likely to be a uh, operation and maintenance, maybe say for 25 years. And there is more onus on us now be looking at that big picture. So for us, and what we do at the virtual PMO is we're trying to help clients and other bodies right at the beginning. We can go in at any time and do what we have to do. But it's like the old adage, if you don't get it right to start with, you're always playing catch up. And if you imagine that what we're talking about are three cogs spinning in different at different speeds, the ability of the human factor to keep up with technology, the ability, the technology going off exponentially. You're talking about generational differences. So you've got a, an older workforce here, much more difficult to get them, you know, plugged into new technology. So, how, you know, they've got the vision, they've got the experience, but they don't necessarily have the inclination. Mm. The processes and procedures right. are, the sorry, it's just the glue arguably the easiest yeah. part of it because yeah. it is what connects them all to give you that output and and my concern right now is yes we look at the people at the beginning to your point penny of these are the big picture thinkers so perhaps the three of us donnie myself and and phil would be those big picture what is the technology what is the people factor what is the human factor changes what do we have to plan in, not just for us at the beginning developing, but what are we looking for in the construction? Mm -hmm. And then what are we looking for in terms of operation? And that's the kind of people, then you get to the next phase and you want, you know, people to just get out there and build it. And then you've got the operators who have to live with it for the yeah. rest of their yeah. lives. We've all- So, so I don't know whether you relate to this or not, but you sound a little bit like Gareth Southgate. <laughs> assembling his football team and you sound more like a psychologist than a civil engineer what what i'd like to know is what comes first is, is does the team come first does the idea come first does the project come first how does it all begin where do you begin when the, so, the, the tunnel the bridge the railway how does it start and, and what do you do first? The tech, the people, the yeah. procedures, the processes? Yeah, That's so I would say it starts with the client wanting to build something. Now we can go into whether it's planned, whether it's part of a master plan, all that kind of stuff. But that's not what we're addressing here today. So he's decided that we need to have an additional river crossing over the Thames to alleviate transport congestion at certain point. So they say, well, is it going to be a bridge or a tunnel or a ferry or whatever? The first part is go and study, come to me with the options. Once you get the options, 
you then start taking that through the whole of that life cycle. Yes, we're going when to When do you, at change. what point do you bring in uh, Phil and Donnie on that process? You could bring them in right at the beginning when you're looking at the option. So if you were going for a tunnel, what would be the technology you would be using? What is that likely to cost? What are going to be the changes over the duration of the construction period? We go to Donnie and the human factor side. Do we have uh, enough people in the country or in the world at the moment, at this point in time, who are going to be able to build it? Are there enough qualified people? Mm. And we start looking at all of that, and that will all influence the choice, the option. Once you've locked down on the option, you go out and then you start the process. You get planning approval, you award the tenders, and you build it. And then somebody operates and maintains it. So the scope is the thing that comes first, generally. It's usually part of a bigger picture. So you've got all these industries. You've got power, you've got nuclear, you've got roads, you've got water, you've got vertical construction, you've got anything you can think of is part of a, a whole ecosystem. There'll be bits that have to be either maintained, renewed, or new railways or roads or whatever new so so, so so you go ahead i was going to say so you've got this rail project phil when do you step in what do you do donnie when do you step in and what do you do i think that the most important first milestone in development for kicking off a major project is the contract because it's not long before the developer needs to secure financing and commit to timelines for when milestones will be hit. Uh, there will be expenditure that will be phased to reach those milestones and progress through activities will be broken down into logic for how you're going to get to each of those milestones. And that's when the complexity starts to hit. That's when, uh, that's when technology can, can help. That's the bit you need, of modeling bits at the beginning. Well, you, you need to track. You need to track a number of things, right? You need to track that um, that you're delivering against the plan, and by delivering means the progress on the activities and also the spend. Yeah, because chances are you're either gonna you're gonna overspend and not uh, make as much progress as as, as you expected. That's generally what happens, right? That's what seems to happen in every project. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it's important for people to track that. And by looking at which activities were delayed and what their predecessors and successors were and how the logic works out of those, those, uh, those activity networks to get to those milestones, that's, that's, a, that's a great area for technology and scheduling. I think that another area is that arguably comes earlier is around uh, building information modeling, BIM, and uh, and design the the tools for that architects are using to design things now and and break them down into discrete components that are then um, carried through into the cost estimates. It's 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 uh, it's just advanced uh, tremendously. Okay. And and then onto the people side, then Donny. So, so Donny, we've got this river crossing. Yeah. <laughs> when when do you step in? Oh, it's interesting. Um, I think the way Subash described it, he described something that the term we use is life cycle. You know, twinkle in the eye, right the way through to twenty years after. And there's a he, Subash talked about a life cycle, and Phil's talked about uh, different stages in it. 
that you got in this life cycle as you take it through. The people bit, as um, Subai said, starts right at the very start, runs all the way through. But if you maybe think of it in a slightly different way, most of what we talked about there is about the design of the project, you know, figuring out the what and the timing and the cost and so on. There's another bit, which is the project design. So hopefully I'm not going to confuse this. So there's design of the project that works to life. So, but there's another thing called the project design. So why should we procure it in the way we do? Why should we split the teams up? Why should I as a client do it? Should I maybe get another organization? And how would that work? Would it culturally work if we did it? Should we, should we give this out? Do we have the capability internally to do this ourselves? And I can talk openly. You know, the Parliament's work, that huge R&R programme, Parliament decided they didn't have the capability, so they went out and set up a sponsor body and a delivery authority. Now, that's a project design issue, which goes right the way back to an individual and a team and have a capability and how would you bring them? And, okay, that's a multi-billion, but in a lot of projects, people will sit down right at the start and go, you know, actually, do we can we have the capability to do it? Do we go out? So there's a design you know, do we go out to designers or do we buy a company and bring it in-house and they work for us for five years and then sell them? Point. It's a very, very broad thing. And how do you put the team together to best do that? Do we employ them or do we subcontract everything out or, or, or? And you go right the way down to team effectiveness. When do you bring teams in? When do you bring, should we be, and Phil will know this maybe better than, as well as Subash, the, the supply chain. You don't wait to get the people who are actually going to build it involved really late on and go through all these layers. You actually go to the absolute specialist. Now, that's a project design decision that's made right up front about how you procure or take the whole thing forward. So that, so that for me, is the overlap, if you will, between the kind of technology process people. It's not just about people knowing each other and working well. Uh, as it's about and, and it's a really, it's a really, it, 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 I suppose... A lot of my analogies will always be sport related, but it is like a relay where you, you someone picks up the baton at the beginning and runs with it and then hands it over. And then that person catches it and carries on. Now it's the same baton. So in this case, it's the same project. Um, it has been defined. So we've gone through that early stage. We know what we're building. From that point, it becomes much easier and probably more economical to start then the modeling because most clients would be reluctant to pay lots of money to start modeling, say, six options. They'll you know, say, well, okay, let's just go through this phase on a desktop study. Is it going to be a bridge? Is it going to be a tunnel? Is it going to be a ferry? Once we've decided that, and in that, we will make some assumptions about what technology we use. In that, we'll make some assumptions about how many people are going to involve, because they're all costs that someone wants to know before they even start. How much is it going to cost me? We can go out and get the material cost, but then we need to know the people cost and we need to know the technology cost and we need to know a whole bunch of other costs. Goes in, that's the magic number. Throughout that, talking to Donnie's point, in that development stage, we would have people who are procurement experts. We would have people who are legal experts. We will have contractual. What's the best form of contract? What is the best procurement? Are we going to divide it regionally? Is it going to be by discipline? Is it going to be concrete here, timber here? Or is it going to be zonal, geographic? What is it going to be? Because each of those decisions 
is going to impact that final cost. It sounds so incredibly it's complicated. Incredible, it? it sounds so complicated. I, I, it's complex. I'm terrified. Oh, it's, well, that's why you have these skilled people and why projects can go well or can go badly. Probably why I don't build roads. Yeah, not me. Was just sorry, just just very that word, and I know this is not a pedantic. It's the complicated and complex, and in my simple mind, I always got to think complicated has got lots of elements, and the interconnectivity between them is kind of all known. Yeah. So I've had a friend who worked on a pro a project that was around twenty billion, because they kind of knew exactly what they needed to do. It just had a massive number of bits, that, but they kind of all knew what they were going to do in about four or five years. And that's not, I don't think, the world we're talking about here per se. Yeah. It's complex and that you don't even know all the bits and all the relationship between them. And even if you do, it's really uncertain. So you yeah, don't yeah. actually ever know. And that's why it's quite hard for, I guess, the three of us to give a straight answer because there isn't. If it was kind of just putting one house up and we knew you'd done, done 100 before you could kind of lay it that's a bit complicated yeah. this world here is like it's a mixture of things the the order in which you do things and what the priorities are, are constantly changing and that's why i guess you your point penny why you get professionals involved i know exactly who can if I think about the um, audience that might be watching this, these are going to be people who are definitely interested in, not going to get the Joe Blogs watching this programme and staying on it. It's going to be people who are def definitely interested. You know, they they see a project coming upon them and they're thinking this is going to be an interesting debate. Um, and so I thought I might liken this a little bit now because it was quite interesting. Thomas asked you before we went live about the difference between China and yeah. the way they construct and here and I think that was bringing in some really interesting conversation yeah. around that um, because we all watch you know here I am the, the rookie as I say I think oh, China make you know they make such light work of getting these huge buildings going up and then we and that, hear of things like HS2 and in the UK these taking ages so I thought interesting debate that for people. It is and I think what makes it real is when you hear anecdotally you know, exactly what you've just articulated. People say, well, why can they do that in China? Why yeah. can high speed be done so cheaply in Europe? Why can't we do it? Well, yeah. it's not that easy, is it? Because in China, they don't go out to consultation, for example. Exactly. Right? They make the decision, we're going to build that road, get out the bloody way, and that's it. They just yeah. do it. We spend anything from 400 million to a billion pounds even before we take that project wow. for planning approval. By wow. we ask everybody. We consult on everything. We do environmental impact studies. Now it's got a two-year horizon. There is a there is there are the requirements by law, there are the requirements by social uh, requirements, there are the environmental requirements. Wow. That is why the cost of something. If you talk about a railway or a, 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 a kilometer of road, the physical cost of it is probably the same the whole world over, the cost of the materials, right, within reason. But where you have to do it, how you have to take it, how you have to place it in, how you have to maintain it varies different. And if you go to China, the cost per unit of a human, of a human factor is 5p an hour. 
you go to UK, it's £4.70 an hour. So that same 2,000 hours you need for a project in each of those countries can vary substantially. And that's just people. Yeah, and you mentioned about the health and safety. Aspect. And the health and safety well, Can I just step in here for a minute? Because I like to be the good news guy about what's working in, uh, in, in positive things. And there is one area of major projects and programs um, where the UK is absolutely the undisputed leader, and that's wind farms, offshore wind farms. We are incredibly good at it. And very few people are aware that about 15 years ago, the Crown Estate over a five-year period invested 100 million pounds in funding the planning and the, um, all of the permitting and everything that was needed for people that were bidding on these offshore blocks in order to prepare to break ground. So you've got to imagine that right now, you look at all these wind farms and the power that's being generated, the the, the Crown Estate's offshore wind portfolio is valued in the billions. It's like worth five billion pounds now. But the Crown Estate only spent 100 million pounds over a five-year period to create that. So this has just been a huge, tremendous, overwhelming success for the UK Treasury, for the UK um, major projects industry. And um, it's something not that many people are aware of. So I thought I'd share I love that. I love the good news stories. Yeah. And the other good news story you shared, Subash, was when we you did the uh, Olympics, um, when we did that, there wasn't a single death in the construction of everything there. And uh, we compare that with other places around the world. And, uh, and something that people relate to is uh, uh, St. Pancras Station. And, and yeah, people who just walk into the station you know, if they, were, if they were there 20 years ago and walked into that station, it just looked like a shed. <laughs> oh, it was beautiful. You know, with a few things. And uh, they invested in it. They took the high-speed rail there. The key to both the Olympics and, to be honest, St. Pancras Station, is they had royalty associated with the opening of both those projects. So when you book the Queen's <laughs> diary to come and cut that bloody ribbon... You've got to make sure you get it done by the time she comes to collect. <laughs> she's, the ultimate, she's the ultimate in accountability then. Absolutely, because she was the one who, the Queen was the one who cut the ribbon for St Pancras Station, and it was on time. Absolutely, I mean, there was some work going on behind the scenes, but I'm not suggesting that it was completely finished. <laughs> yeah. But it was operational that they could bring a train in for the Queen to cut the ribbon. And, and those are fantastic projects. When you look at St Pancras Station now, it looks like it's like a world of its own within a within a station. It's like so a we are good at we are good at delivering great projects. We are. I mean, we have the horror world leaders. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's lovely. That is lovely to hear. That it really is nice. I like to be proud of our country. Um, but what about time? You mentioned time and health and safety. When when we watch these supercharged videos on YouTube of buildings going up and they seem to go up in a matter of hours, whereas Penny says things like HS2, they're saying it's going to take, I don't know, 20 years. Is, is, that, is that to do with our processes and procedures? Is, is that why we're not as fast as... Huh? I think it's to do with, and, and Donnie can talk on this, but um, part of the planning, major, major projects in this country have very tight conditions on planning. 
And inevitably, unlike China, we very rarely have 24 hours a day construction. So we are constrained that if you're in town, you can only start after eight o'clock in the morning and you have to finish by eight o'clock at the night. Oh, or on railways, you can only shut the railway on bank holiday weekends, which are there are only five or six in the year to take the disruption out. So there are many things, whereas in China and places, other places, that's not a consideration. Work as long as you want as, and have as many shifts as you want and do whatever you want with, by comparison to here. So we're also trying to construct these major projects in a reduced time scale in terms of physical work on site. Right. Okay. So, so Donny, I know you you do when you were talking about Britain being, you know, world leading in this. I know you you do some project projects overseas. Do you get a sense that there's things about Britain that are really respected in in the construction and project world? Well, I think that, I think there is, and I'm I'm sure that um, Phil's got many examples as well because of the the way he spreads across between different organizations um, and companies. I, I, we can put buildings up very quickly, by the way, so it's going to be a wee bit balanced. And when the project's been designed in that way and they've said, right, we'll work this way, we'll, we'll procure it in this way, we will build it in a modular way, we'll do X, Y, and Z, it can go up, maybe not quite as quick as the hospitals you saw going up in China. That's excessive. Um, but you look at, as an example, the um, Nightingale Hospital in London. Oh, yes. Now, Excel. now that well, we've had, there is a presentation. One of Acumen 7 members was, when I say intimately involved, one of the first people we walk onto the site and go, oh, my God, we're going to build a hospital in a few days. So it can be done. But as Subash said, there's an awful lot of things then that disappear. You don't need to worry about this or 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 this, and they all get pulled away from you. So if you get rid of all of those, then you a lot of the constraints have gone. Um, the only this is not to put a downer. There is still an underlying productivity issue in the UK, which I know Subash is doing his part to play, and sure as hell Phil is because of the technologies and the system and approaches that the, these startups and organizations have got that may be able to make real material difference. And some of the companies that Phil has mentioned, you know, can make real material differences, you know, shrinking a two year program to 18 months without much changing, just far, far more efficient ways of, of working. So we, we have got an underlying yeah. productivity issue, but that's not, we're focusing mainly in construction. No, no, that is, yeah. And I suppose some of those productivity issues come down once again to governance and regulations and and things like that as well, um, as well as people and as well as the generational divide of. I mean, when I've seen demonstrated some of the tools you use, um, Donny, and I've seen a bit of a glimpse into Phil's life, and I've had a presentation, a ninety-minute talk from Sue Bash. And, and I think how much your, the productivity tools and underline a lot of what you all do, you know, to make to make things come in at the right price and on time. So, well, we're nearing the end now. I actually can't so, believe it. So, have you understood this? this I, I know a lot more now. I have a question. I have a question for Donny. Say again. I have, I have a question for Donny, if I may. We've got about one minute left, just so you know, Phil. Well, that's not much. 
Oh, go on. Well, we can overrun. Go on, we away. can overrun. We can overrun. Uh, Donna, do you think that um, project management uh, is going to move more in-house into the the owners um, and the and the prime contractors, or do you think it's going to be continued to be outsourced um, to the major consultancies? I noticed that CBRE just took a huge stake in Turner Townsend today, something like four hundred eighty million. That's right. about people, right? Um, uh, oh my God, there's a, as you say, there's about half an hour. Um, I think there have been some terrible examples. We've now grown used to things getting companies, sorry, a lot of clients removing all core capability in this, as we like to know, and everything gets outsourced. Outsourced organizations, not decrying consultants or anyone else, because I am one, a very small one, um, his job is to fill order books and to do, are they going to come up with models, project models that massively reduce their own income? Exactly. exactly. I figured out a way to do this for a third the cost to design this. We'll only need to do it once and we're going to use a different model. We're going to use modular construction and we're going to put it out there. And by the way, our fees will only be one third what they would yeah. have been. And I think what, many what, we're, what we're seeing, I think, it just to conclude from my part, and that was why it, I found this discussion really useful, is that what we're finding is that a lot of the example that um, Phil just talked about was obviously Turner and Tanzan, international company, did a lot of work in the States, decided they didn't really want to do it in the States. So CBRE thought, well, that's a good market share. They've gone in and bought it. But I think on a wider thing, contractors are now moving from just being builders to wanting to be, they've always had this terminology of a one-stop shop, right? Which is we can design it, we can build it, we can operate it, we can do everything, just come to us. The fact of the matter is very few, if any, contractors actually can do it right now. So there is always going to be. And the second, so I think the ecosystem of the construction industry is changing. Right, technology will always be bought in because unless con contractors start buying software houses and Oracle and stuff, which is unlikely to happen, it's always going to be on the outside. But in terms of people, there's mm. always been this challenge about uh, do we do we uh, employ people and train them or do we buy them in? And that still remains a big question. And therefore, to Donnie's, whether project management will come in-house or not, my own personal view, it, it won't. Because what people find is they spend years of investing and training people only for them to go and leave and go to somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do need to wrap up, but I feel I've got a sense you were sitting on your hands there. Do you want to say, say something to that, Phil? Uh, only that there is one major example of a large US um, construction company called Qit that bought and built a company called Innate. So I, I can, that's that's the only construction company I know of that has a major software house. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I think it's really apparent and I'm hoping as we share this out onto LinkedIn into social networks that uh, we attract the right people to listen to this. And thank you anyone who has watched this back and please do get in touch with Subash Tavares. So you can find him on LinkedIn and the virtual PMO um, website. So if you put in the virtual PMO, you'll come across that. 
um, and also uh, Phil Schatz, and we talked about his Glimpse of the Future um, event. So follow Phil and get in touch with him, um, particularly if you've got new incredible technology coming up that's relevant to this conversation. Um, and indeed, if you want to be in the audience of one of his events. And then finally, Donnie McNichol, who is an amazing connector as well and runs the Delivery Club and also a member and uh, well, a lead member, I'd say, of Acumen 7. So what we all have in common is our connections and our ability to build community. Each of us have done it in our own way, uh, really valuable. And so when you contact any of these three gentlemen, you'll realize that they've got an incredible network behind them as well. So thank you, all three of you. Thank you, Subash, for putting the show together for a fantastic show. And, and have a great afternoon. We've been seeing the rain thundering down outside here. Yeah, it's just starting here. <laughs> yeah. And in a minute, it'll be 30 degrees and the sun will be out because that's sort of time summer we're having. So It's um, either roasting or it's raining. It is. That's it. All right. So thank you, gentlemen. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, yeah, thank you. Bye. 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 Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Johnny. Bye. See you. Thank you, Subash. Appreciate the invite. Bye. Take care.